Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. I invite you to take your Bibles and open to the book of Genesis. Um, we're going to begin a series in, uh, in study over the next several weeks here. And, and I expect our study in Genesis to take us several weeks. Um, in fact, Genesis 1 is going to take us several weeks just, just in, in that one chapter because there's so much here. Um, but Genesis is such a foundational book to the scriptures, and the scriptures are so foundational to so much of our lives. Last week, Pastor Tom led you through the Bible from beginning to end. I think he only missed Esther, was what he told me afterwards. But uh, he, he, he went the whole way, and he gave us a, an overview, a 50,000-foot view of the scriptures. And what we want to do, because so many issues in our world today go back to Genesis roots, what I want to do over the next couple months here is spend some time in Genesis 1 through 11. And if you've joined us uh, in Bible reading this year, one of the things we're doing as a church is reading through the scriptures and we're following a chronological plan. And the reason we're doing a a, a chronological plan is as I was kind of talking with people and uh, one of the things that came up was, hey, have we ever done a chronological plan? That'd be a great way to look at the scripture and to be able to see, well, you know, so Genesis here and then where does Job come in? Because we're reading Job right now, which is one of those kind of early early books in terms of chronology. And so I said, yes, absolutely. We found a plan that, um, that I was familiar with and that several people I know uh, went through. And so if you've joined us online, this is a photo of our website, a screen grab of our website. You can go here, you can click on the button, Journey Through the Bible, if you're online. And you can, when you click on that, you can go and you can find a way to download the plan and all that if you'd like to join us digitally. Or you can also find a way to download the hard copies of Reading Through the Bible this year. There's also some hard copies back out there. What I'm saying is we want our community to be reading the scriptures. And even if you don't make every day, this isn't about a legalism like, oh no, I didn't get it in, I'm a bad Christian, please. No, no, not at all. Just open the Bible regularly. Open it daily if you can, because these are words that come from God to people. In fact, it says several times in the book of Genesis, in chapter one, we'll read it in a minute, that God said, and God said, and God said, And as we read the scriptures, we find out God says a lot of stuff. So we want to understand it rightly and in context because we want to experience what it means to know our creator, what it means to know our savior, what it means to know our Lord. So I invite you to join us in reading through the Bible this year. And there's a lot of extra tools associated with the plan there's some devotionals you can listen to. There's some, um, there's some overview videos you can watch. If you're not a video or an audio person, I can recommend all sorts of stuff to you just to simply help you understand what the text is saying. So if you want to have that conversation, please see me afterwards. Uh, but we're going to begin where it begins in the beginning in the book of Genesis. Uh, and so as you are able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. It will be a longer reading. So if you want to remain seated, if that's easier for you, I totally understand. 
going to read together, and we're not going to dive too deeply into all the things that are in Genesis 1, but I want to read Genesis 1 in its entirety so we get the idea of this prologue to the Scripture. If you you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, very beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, there was morning, one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning a second day. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit after their kinds with seed in them. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening, there was morning, a third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. So God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night, and also the stars. And God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, there was morning, a fourth day. Then God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the expanse of the heavens. And God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarmed after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, there was morning, a fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after their kind, and it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing of the ground after its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, so that they will have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that creeps on the earth. 
Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth, and every tree which has the fruit of the tree yielding seed. It shall be food for you, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth which has life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their hosts. And on the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because on it, he rested from all his work, which God had created in making it. These are the words of the Lord. Father, we thank you for today. And as we open the scriptures anew this year, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us. Uh, Lord, we don't want to do this out of, out of ritual or out of just plain habit. We want to do so in order to hear you speak and to hear you tell us who we are in light of who you are. God, we thank you for this new year, the opportunities, uh, the challenges that await us. Um, God, we commit them to you knowing that you, uh, you give us grace um, to help in our time of need. And so, Lord, we look to you again today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So, first book of the Bible, foundational to all the rest of the things that will come after it. In fact, Genesis is, I I believe it's the most quoted book in all of the New Testament. Um, A couple of things, uh, I'd like to give a little bit of background about books of the Bible so that we we have an understanding of where to land our feet when we come to a new book or a new passage. Um, Its author, Uh, is Moses. Um, Most likely Moses wrote most of it. And the reason I say most of it is that there are a couple of things at the end of Deuteronomy, and we'll we'll talk about that in just a minute, but there's some things at the end of Deuteronomy, uh, which Moses wrote, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. There's some things at the end of Deuteronomy that happen or are recorded after Moses has already died. And so an editor probably came back and he said, hey, here's what happened. Um, But when we talk about understanding Genesis. We have to think about it in understanding not just Genesis, but Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, because it's part of um, five books called the Pentateuch. That's one way. It's the Greek word for those five books. Um, It's also known as the Torah. That's the Hebrew way. And and Torah means um, it has to do with teaching, and it has to do um, with, with how God gives his word for instruction. Um, it's also referred to as the books of Moses. And so it's, it's really hard to separate Genesis from the rest of these four books because they're considered in Jewish thought and, and within scripture as one unit that tells the story from creation and picks in chapter um, 12 of, of Genesis and tells the story of Israel and God working through Israel to bring a redeemer. All right? So the, Kind of the overarching thing. It's part of, a, a part of five books known as the Torah or the Pentateuch or the books of Moses. When we think about the book of Genesis um, and, and Moses uh, authoring them and, and compilating them together, it's important to recognize that um, he is doing this under the divine uh, work of the Holy Spirit. 
Um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, I believe it is, says that all, or is it 4? It's one of the two. Uh, It says all scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful and profitable for training up people in righteousness so that the people of God may be, be equipped for every good work. But, but it's God-breathed. Moses isn't like, I'm going to write a novel today and here's what it's going to be. God is working sovereignly, supernaturally through Moses, but he's also using Moses um, to write this book. So it's, it's a partnership of, of the divine and of the human to reveal what God wants to say. When, when we read the scriptures, we're reading God's version of the news. And some of the things that are said in scriptures are not, de- are not prescriptive for us. They're descriptive of what is happening, but God wants us to know those things so that we can learn how to be in relationship with him. It's most likely written um, as Moses and the children of Israel are wandering in the wilderness. And the date on that is somewhere between 1446 BC and 1406 BC. And the reason it's dated there is because of a, of a verse in 1 Kings chapter 1 that dates that, that wanderness, wilderness wandering period to that time. So when you think about when this is being compiled and being written down by Moses, we're looking at the mid to late 1400s BC. Um, I love the way that my Old Testament professor at Cedarville summarized um, what's kind of going on in here. Here's the way Dr. Chris Miller put this uh, as as Israel is hearing this word from the Lord. Um, Dr. Chris Miller says, the nation was presumably about to enter the land and needed to understand her roots. Moses thus introduced the nation to her heritage and thus her obligation to the promises of God by narrating the beginnings of the world and of God's relationship to the patriarchs. So Israel is hearing this for the first time and they've just come out of slavery in Egypt and they need to know who they are. They need to know, but even more than that, they need to know who God is and they need to know how their life fits into the story and the plans and the purposes of God. Something that I think all of us need at every point, knowing where, where we are, God, and, and how do I fit into your story here and now today? So I love that, that summary of what is going on there. The book of Genesis is split into, in its Hebrew form, it's split into 12 sections. You have 50 chapters, but really there's um, 12 scrolls, you could think of them as. And in the first one that we just read is known as the prologue by many scholars. Um, Every other breaking is marked by a phrase, and the phrase in Hebrew is toledot, and it means, or it's translated, these are the accounts of, or these are the generations of. You can see it, for example, the first time it appears is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, where it says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that Yahweh God made earth and heaven is the way mine translates that. That's the first time. And so you hear this phrase or you see this phrase, these are the generations of Toledot. And from there until the next Toledot is one unit. And you can kind of see, maybe a little small for you, in Genesis 2, 4 it happens, 5, 1, 6, 9, 10, 1, 11, 10, 11, 27, 25, 12, 25, 19, 36, 1, 36, 9, and 37, 2. All these phrases happen, and those are the different divisions that exist within the book of Genesis. Um, 
going back to this idea of divine authorship, another, um, another verse that's really helpful for us from the New Testament is Hebrews chapter 1, where it says, long ago God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. Verse 2, in these days he has spoken to us by his Son. Notice what he says about the Son, and he's talking here about Jesus. Um, he ha- God has appointed him, meaning Jesus, heir of all things, and made the universe through him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory in the exact expression of his nature. He's sustaining all things, note, by his powerful word. So when we think about these words that are stated in the beginning of the book of Genesis, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, we have to know that the agent of creation is none other than the Messiah Jesus himself who speaks and who creates things and how how the Father uses him to create the entire universe. And New Testament says that in many different ways. one great thing. So we come back to where we're going to focus most of our time this morning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You, you may know, e- even if you don't have much of a church background, you may know the beginning here to the Bible. In Hebrew, it's seven words. I won't give them to you because I'll probably forget one. But in the beginning, in English, God created the heavens and the earth. There's a lot of things that are, are being said in this one simple, short sentence. It, there's a debate among scholars about how to understand how this fits with the rest of the narrative. I'm of the opinion that this is a summary statement that says, before he goes into all the things that God said and it was and, and God made this, that he's saying, hey, in the beginning, I'm the creator. In in other words, God was there in the beginning, meaning before there were trees, meaning before there was sky, meaning before there was um, ants, I don't know, or mosquitoes. God created those things because he already existed. He's eternally existent as creator. And so when it says in the beginning, um, it says in the beginning, God And actually 35 times in the first section of Genesis, 1-1 to 2-3, in this prologue, the the name of God, Elohim, is used 35 times. It's, It's not used as a pronoun, it's used as Elohim did, and Elohim did this, and Elohim did this. Because one of the ways that the ancient peoples wanted you to to understand what was going on is they would highlight things through repetition. We have a screen here, and I can highlight the word God. In Hebrew, that's the word Elohim. It's one of the names of God. It can be a more generic name for God, but in the context here, it's specifically talking about a creator God who pre-existed everything else, not a God of the world or anything like that, a lowercase g, God of the world. Um, So the ancient people, the ancient writers, one of the ways that they would say, I want to draw your attention to something, is they would say something over and over and over again. And so you have this subject, Elohim, the creator God, happen 35 times in less than 35 verses. (laughs) One of the things the Hebrew writer would have been like, Elohim, 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 Elohim. He is the creator God. God. In fact, the way you could translate this is God, God, or deity. In this name, when it's being used specifically of God, it refers to God's creative power. And we see that in the text. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. This is another word, and it's interesting. This word for create is only ever used of God, the God of the Bible. 
It's the word in Hebrew, it's the word bara. My clicker is working here. Next slide, if you could, for me, David. I think my clicker's not working. Um, this word created is the word bara, and it means to shape, to create, or to bring into existence. And it's always used, it's always used with God as the subject. I'll try and fix this so it doesn't scratch against my face there. Um, so, as we enter into the story, the key subject of Genesis 1 is God, the creator. And the thing that he does is he creates. And, and notice how he creates. And I'll just highlight a couple of these for you. It says, and, and God said in verse three, God said, he spoke. He didn't do a heavy lifting thing, he spoke and it was. Now, could God have spoke one time and created all these things? Yes. <laughs> Did he? No. We'll talk about that when we talk about what it means to be fashioned in the image of God and, and what it means to, 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 to be creators in a couple weeks. Um, but when God speaks, he speaks things and they occur. Let there be light. There was light. Let's separate this. There it is. The, the perspective of the Bible is that God sovereignly, powerfully, divinely creates through his spoken word with one exception where he kneels down and he forms a man. But we'll talk about that in a future date together. So God is revealing himself. And so when we think about Genesis, there's many ways that people look at Genesis. Some people look at Genesis from a historical perspective. Um, some people look at Genesis from a scientific perspective or an ancient literature type of perspective. I want to suggest to us that the way we need to read Genesis is firstly, we have to read it from a theological perspective. And that's a fancy way of saying, what does the text say about God? Because God is the author of this story. And he's giving this story initially through Moses to the people of Israel as they're getting ready, as they're wandering in the wilderness, maybe getting ready to enter into the promised land at some point. And they need to know who they are and they need to know whose they are. It's interesting to me that God spends about, you know, a chapter, chapter and a half on creation, and then the rest of it, he's talking, you know, after the fall especially, you, you have kind of this downward spiral that happens in the, you know, chapters 3 through 11, and then he spends most of the time of Genesis talking about a family that stems from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I think one of the reasons for that is because God deeply loves his people and the story he's telling, he wants you to know, yes, he created the world. Yes, he spoke and it was. Yes, it was good when he created it. His original design was awesome. He gave mankind purpose. He, he calls them to, to be about certain things that we'll study over these next few weeks, but he's making statements about who he is and about the redemption, ultimately, he is going to bring to a world that is um, introduced to sin in Genesis chapter three. Because the story God is, is, is penning for his people is that you are loved and that he wants a relationship with you. Sometimes we get into, and, and there's good reason to study kind of the, the, the language and the science and all that kind of behind this, but sometimes we get focused into the weeds and we forget the big picture that God is revealing himself to us because he wants you to know him. That's why God reveals himself, because he wants you to know him. Um, 
I put it this way, and we're, we're gonna kind of go quickly to an ending here in a couple minutes. Because um, we're gonna come back to Genesis 1. If you have questions about Genesis 1, I think we'll come back to it, but if not, ask them, what's the point of the story? There's one thing I wanted to highlight for you. Elohim is mentioned, I mentioned this 35 times in the first prologue here, in the prologue. Elohim is described as the eternal creator. Elohim creates the world with intentionality and with purpose. You are not here by accident, you're here because God has intention and purpose for you. Elohim created the world through divine speech. He spoke, it was. The phrase, and God said, happens I think it's seven times in the Hebrew in, in, in this don't quote me on that, I'm going my, my memory right now. Um, Elohim, though, is personally involved with his creation, especially humankind. His creation is ordered and complete. Complete in the sense that he has given them everything they need to do what he has called them to do. He's going to say to Adam, I want you to care for the, for, for the beasts of the field. I, I want you to... to to, to be about good creation and stewardship. I, I, want, I want you to, to, to flourish and I want you to grow. You know, the things that aren't created at this point, there's, there's no music created so far as we know. Like mankind is not making music. They, they haven't designed an incredible engineering feat. They, they, they haven't created a, uh, an airplane. I, I assume because God is a creator God and he makes us in his image, he assumes that Adam and Eve are going to bear his image and continue creating. But what he has provided for them is ordered and it's complete for everything that they need. What is the point of the story? Here's where I wanna land for our time today. Creation finds its completeness in its creator. Creation finds its completeness in its creator. Um, there's a, if, if you and I could read in Hebrew, it'd be a little bit easier to see sometimes, but there's a cycle of sevens that goes on. Seven in, in Hebrew is a, is a number that deals with completion or a number that deals, sometimes um, it said it deals with perfection. It, it signifies completeness, one writer says, and that these things come to their fit conclusion. And there's this completeness that is painted all over this first chapter of Genesis. For example, there are seven days of creation. In the first sentence, there are seven words in Hebrew. There's 14 words in the second sentence, and for those of you who like to do math, that's seven times two. <laughs> I'm not a math guy, so this, <laughs> this could get dicey here in a couple minutes. Um, 21 times the words earth and heavens and firmament appear. 35 times another division of seven for those of you who are like me and struggle with math. Um, Elohim is mentioned with no pronouns. It's Elohim, Elohim, 35 times. Seven instances of the phrase, let us. I think that's the one I was thinking of earlier. There's 14 words in the second sentence. Uh, do I? Oh yeah, yeah, 21 times earth and heavens and firmament appear. There's these cycles of sevens that occur all over. In fact, I love the way that Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum puts it. Uh, he says, there are seven paragraphs in this first prologue with the seventh paragraph containing three sentences and each sentence contains seven words with the phrase the seventh day in the middle of the whole passage. This is not by accident. This has been put together because one of the things that the author wants his readers to see is that when God makes things, they're complete. They're complete. God has given everything to 
humanity and to the world for them to flourish in the way that he created them to flourish. This idea of completeness comes in many sections of the scripture. And we ask this question, why? What I mean by that is, is for what purposes did God create the world? And I love what it says in Colossians chapter two. Colossians chapter two, which is in the New Testament. You can turn there if you'd like to. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I usually have to sing a song in order to get there. Um, Colossians, Colossians, actually chapter one is where I wanna be. Colossians chapter one. In Colossians 1, verse 15, it's, a, it's another kind of creational account here. Um, it says, uh, the firstborn of all creation is my title, uh, that, that Christ is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things were created, both in the heavens and the earth, the visible, the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have be, been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In fact, he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, that is Christ, to reconcile all things to himself, having, been made, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, whether things on heaven or things on earth. So when you look at Colossians chapter one, it says that all things were created through him and for him. It says that Christ is to have first place in all things. It goes on to say in the next verse here, this is Colossians 1 verse 21, it introduces the human condition that echoes back to Genesis 3. And although you were formerly alienated in enemies in mind and in evil deeds, it says, but now he reconciled you in the body of his flesh through death in order to present you before him wholly blameless and beyond reproach. In other words, there's this reconciling that happens where we go from being enemies of God to being reconciled to God. And the purposes for this are noted in verse 28. One of the purposes here, him we proclaim, Paul says, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. This idea of completion that began back in the garden comes back in what God wants to do through his people today. It's in Christ that creation finds its completion. The challenge for many of us is that we can read in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was out form and void and darkness. We can go on like that, and we can miss the fact that God tells us that because he tells us what the original design was because he wants you and I to know this is how I made things. And by the way, I made you to be dependent upon me. I made you to be complete in me. And after the fall, the fall introduced this, this um, it introduced sin into the world. And what sin does every time is it says, I can be complete without God. That's what sin does. Sin says, I can look to that and find my need. I can look to this and find my joy. I can look to that and find my satisfaction. And as much as we may think that here on this earth, from the beginning, 
God has written a story that says there's only one way you're going to be complete, and that's to find your completeness in me. In fact, Colossians chapter 2 here says it, for in him the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. Complete. He is the head over all rule and authority. God made the world and everything in it. And that should bring us great comfort because we don't have to design the universe. All we have to do is say, Lord, how do we partner with you in what you've called us to do to make, to to join you in helping people grow into maturity in Christ? As we think about this next year, God has great things for us. God has great things for you and he has great things for your family. And it all begins with knowing that you are made complete in Christ and that he has provided you all that you need, the wisdom, the knowledge that comes through his spirit, the power. And and the power here is not just like, it's not like might. It's like power to forgive, power to extend a love towards someone, power to walk in grace. So many times we try to find the completeness apart from Christ. And there's no way because it's in him only that we can be made complete. Um, I hope you had a fantastic holiday. Uh, one of the things that we did over the holidays, we enjoyed many great meals together. And you can come to the end of a meal and go, wow, I am complete now. In fact, one of those meals, um, this is the way it started. And you're like, what on earth is that? This is a, um, this is a 13, pr- 13 pound prime rib roast that my mother-in-law did, covered with salt. And you're like, what is going on? Some of you may know where this is going. When this thing comes out of the oven, it looks like this. And everyone who's not a vegetarian is probably like salivating right now. Uh, It was one of the best pieces of meat I've ever had. And my mother-in-law listens to the podcast, so Judy, it was awesome. I loved it. Um, And it can be easy to find completeness or to try and find completeness even in the small incidental things of life. We left that meal going, oh, that was so good. But you know what happened the next day? We got hungry again. When Jesus comes to a woman at the well, he's talking with her about water in the Gospel of John. And he tells to her, and she'd been trying to find all sorts of meaning and purpose and identity and a whole lot of things. And he says to her, he says, uh, as she's coming to get water out of a well, he says, "Um, I have water that will make you never thirst again. Never thirst again. He wasn't talking necessarily about physical water here. He was saying, I have a completeness that you lack that can only be filled by me. I love the way Psalm 16 puts it. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence, the psalmist says of God, in your presence, God, there's fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. If I could encourage you in one thing this year, find your completeness in Christ because it won't be found anywhere else. And if I could encourage us as a community this year, I would encourage us to point one another back to the completeness you and I have in Jesus Christ because it can't be found anywhere else. And yet God has given us each other to remind us of what is true
to remind us of what is right and to point us back in the many different ways in which we try to satisfy our hungers apart from God. He's given us each other to say, you know what? There's a God who can meet your need with great completeness. And it's the God who in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. Pray with me, please. Lord, we thank you for today. Uh, Truly, Lord, we are here for you. We are here for your honor and for your glory. And as we begin a new year, as we have uh, known perhaps in unknown challenges ahead of us, there will be so many temptations, Lord, for us to look somewhere else to find our, our completeness. But God, you made the world and everything in it. And as you formed and fashioned it, and as you filled it, and as you gave humanity your word to lead and to guide us, God, I pray that this year we would go back to, to you and to the truth of your word and that we, would, that we would seek to find our life in you because that's the only place it can be found. Lord, as we open your word this year, I pray that you would teach us. Some of the Bible is just really hard to understand. Help us to see why it's there Help us to see how to apply it rightly to our lives, to see the principles that come through your divine speech to us. Lord, remind us of the work of the cross as we celebrate communion as well this morning. And we celebrate the victory that we have over the grave because of Christ's victory over the grave. We thank you, God, for the opportunities we have to worship and adore you and to know you more today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.